Welcome, family. Today we're going to be taking a look at a book from Kate Hershey. God is looking for perfect people. That's the title of his book. Responding to your calling for spiritual growth. I first heard of uh, Keith. He's an evangelist who has traveled the world proclaiming the gospel. In addition to his duties as founder and president of Mutual Faith Ministries International, Keith also hosts Life Unlimited, a weekly international television program which broadcasts in over 100 nations in English, Arabic, Spanish, and Russian. Keith and his wife Heidi reside in Southern California. I first ran into uh, him in, uh, in seminars in West Covina where he was uh, introduced and they kept calling him to come back year after year after year. He was a favorite of our faith community church in West Covina. I think their webpage is called Go To Faith, the number two, gotofaith.com. Jim Reeve, Dr. Jim Reeve is the pastor. Um, it's interesting. It says, thinking turn imaginations turns into victory from words that are being sown into our thinking. These are my notes, <laughs> probably about 15 years ago. A cycle of empowerment straight from Jesus. Cool, huh? Is that what I got out of it? Let's go ahead and read. There's four, five chapters. Being perfect is possible. Being perfect is not. How do I become perfect? Signs of spiritual maturity and the purpose of perfection. Chapter 1, being perfect is possible. Do you know that being perfect is possible? I know it sounds strange, almost ridiculous, but God is looking for perfect people. So who in the world is perfect? I don't know anybody. I remember when my wife Heidi and I met many years ago. She loved me so much and chased me all over town. Then we got married. She thought I was the perfect guy. Then she got to know me. It's really unfortunate that she got to know me that well. Heidi has realized that I am wrapped in frailty. It's called humanity. You got to be kidding. Me, perfect? I'm definitely not perfect. My wife knows it and reminds me of it. My kids remind me of it. And the people that I work with remind me of it too. So what could Jesus actually mean when he said that we could be perfect people? We must find out because that's the assignment the Lord gave each and everyone else. Everyone of us. In Matthew 5:48, Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, I just had a thought. You know what perfection is this for me? It's being still. Being still and looking up. It, won't you become perfect when you stop and you're being still and you're looking at the Father? You become one with Him. Psalms, and it feels right. Okay, back to the reading. When you look at that verse of Scripture at face value, it seems overwhelming impossible, but it's an invitation or really an assignment to be perfect. Jesus said, you shall be perfect. Let's pause right there, because that statement in of itself can frustrate people. 
I don't know about you, but that is such an amazing thought. It sounds kind of ridiculous to say that you and I could be perfect just as our Father in Heaven is perfect. When I think of the term perfect, I think of someone who is infallible, someone who has never sinned or made a mistake. Being perfect is an impossibility to the natural man. If we think about it with our natural mind, we just dismiss it. Because in our humanity, we know our limitations, weakness, and insecurities. Really? Who but God is perfect? God can make an error in judgment, and He could never do wrong. He is absolutely, indefinitely infallible. Even as Christians, we think, how in the world could I ever be a perfect person? I remember reading a bumper sticker that said in big old bold letters, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Well, that's true if you only think imperfect in the natural fallacy sense. I know the intent of the bumper sticker is that everybody's human and we all fail. We all know we all need to trust in God and make U-turns in life, change our direction, repent. We all know that in reality, I'm not a perfect person and neither are you. However, Jesus Christ called us to be perfect people, even as our Father in Heaven is perfect. We need to understand what being perfect is all about. Our perfection or completeness is to be evaluated in context of the Father. In other words, we can be perfect just as our Father in Heaven is perfect. I'm so excited about this teaching because I really believe this is something God is dealing with my own heart as a, about. Because there are areas in my life where I need to grow and develop, I've been delivered for a long time. I've been preaching the gospel for over 25 years in full-time ministry, but sometimes when I examine myself, I think, my goodness, I really haven't put the word to work in certain areas of my life. So I haven't fully grown and matured in those areas as I need, as I need to. Whether you like it or not, when Jesus said, be perfect, it wasn't a suggestion. It's a commission. It's a commandment. It's an assignment. God wants us to grow because he is looking for perfect people. And you're the perfect candidate. You can be perfect just as your Father in Heaven is perfect. But most of us think we could never be perfect until we find out what being perfect really means. What does being perfect really mean? When we think of the word perfect, we think infallible. We think of people who cannot sin, people who, who never make mistakes. Now, if that were the case, you and I couldn't be candidates to be perfect. But what the Bible defines as perfect is something much more significant. It has to do with our spiritual growth or development. The word perfect translated in Matthew 5.48 is the Greek word teleois, which means complete. It's descriptive of completeness in various forms of applications. For instance, it means complete in metal, mental or moral character. Teleois, tele, T-E-L-E-I-O-S, also means to be full age, full grown, mature, or complete in a spiritual sense. Jesus prayed for our perfection. God really wants and expects us to be perfect just as our Father in Heaven is perfect. In fact, His Son, Jesus, actually prayed for it. 
John 17, 9 and verse 20 and 23 say, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This is Jesus' highly priestly prayer, where he prayed for everybody who ever believed on him. And he even prayed for future generations who would believe on him through the testimony of other believers. Jesus prayed to the Father, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. Verse 23. See, there is an individual maturity of perfection, and there is a corporate maturity of perfection. Jesus' commission calls us to lead others to perfection. But in John 17, Jesus prayed for our perfection. Jesus was praying not only for those who hung out with him, but he was praying for all those who would believe on him, even those who would come after his generation. This is considered the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Again, look at Jesus' call for us to be perfect. John 17, 18, 23, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, are in me, and in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus prayed that we would sanctify ourselves and preach the gospel, and that many people would believe as a result. He went on to pray that all believers would be united, and that through unity we would be made perfect. Our unity, our bondness, what I call our mutual faith can happen when people choose to grow, mature, and walk out and live out the word of God in their lives. This is what Jesus called us to do in this great commission. This is what he called us to do in his prayer for us. And this is what we've been called to through the New Testament writings. God's plan to perfect us. We know that being perfect is possible because we read in John 17 where Jesus prayed for our perfection. But Jesus also made a way for us to become perfect. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 13 say, And he, Jesus himself, gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Lord Jesus gave us gift to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, sometimes called the fivefold ministry gifts, 
They are the men and women planted in the body of Christ who have a grace and a gifting to lead people spiritually. They are placed in a local assembly or a local church for one purpose, to bring people to spiritual perfection or maturity. Verses 12 and 13 explain that they will equip and edify us until we all become perfect. I'm teaching this for one reason, and that is to perfect people with God's word. Because God is looking for perfect people. Being perfect is possible, and we're the perfect candidate. You know, if God didn't give you the instruction or command to be perfect, it wouldn't be possible. But if he's called you to do something, he'll keep you. <laughs> he'll equip you to become whatever it is he said you could be. He said you could be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. That means being perfect is possible for you. You can mature and develop spiritually. You can grow up. As I said earlier, the term perfect really means mature. God is looking for people who choose to grow and become complete in the whole man. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirits and soul and body to preserve blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. The concept of being complete or perfect in your spirit, soul, and body mean, means being fully developed in your whole man. God wants you to grow and mature in every way. That is the end of chapter 1. Kate Hershey's God is Looking for Perfect People. Being Perfect is Not, Chapter 2, Keith Hershey's book, God is Looking for Perfect People. Well, God just wouldn't tell us that we could be perfect without telling us how to do it. Sometimes the best way for us to understand what something is, is to study what it's not. Becoming perfect is not just a natural occurrence that happens with the passing of time and it has nothing to do with how long you've been saved it's not natural people tend to think that being full grown complete in mental and moral character is a result of the natural process of growing up they think it's just naturally happens as you grow physically but it doesn't physical growth doesn't just happen Mental and emotional growth is not an automatic result of the physical process of growing up. I know a lot of people who are 50 years old, but they still act as if they're five. In other words, they throw fits, they throw tantrums, and they want their own way. For instance, my youngest son played on his high school basketball team, and I'll never forget what happened at one of his summer games. The opposing team's coach went into a complete rage. He got emotionally and exploded. Everybody in the gym was watching this guy. The referees were embarrassed. I was embarrassed. And at the end of this display, he insulted the refs and everybody there by saying that he was going to pray for them. I thought, you're such a child. 
you're in a man's body, but you've never grown up emotionally. You know, if you had children on your own and they did not grow up and mature after a season of time, you would think something was wrong. If they weren't growing physically, you would take them to the doctor. If they weren't growing emotionally or mentally, you might take them to the psychologist or some other specialist in the field. Jesus calls us to perfection or to be perfect, mature, and fully grown spiritually because he doesn't want us to be children forever. We need to study the Bible to find out how we can grow up spiritually. Being perfect has nothing to do with how old you are or how long you've been saved. It's amazing to me how many people say they're Christians and love the Lord, but it seems as though they've never grown. They're carnal Christians. They still walk in the flesh and act like babies, easily angered or frustrated, selfish and self-centered. They haven't grown spiritually because they haven't taken time to renew their minds with the Word of God. In fact, you'll find throughout the New Testament occasions when Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and others said they couldn't speak to the people as mature believers. They had to speak to them as babies, only understanding simple things. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teaches you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. For everyone that uses milk, verse 13, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who, by reason of use of their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. The writer of Hebrews said he couldn't give the people the meat of the word because they had not matured spiritually. They have to decide that you want to grow. Then you have to give yourself to studying and doing what the Word says. Again, you have to choose, decide, make a decision that you want to grow, make a commitment. Then you have to give yourself to studying and doing what the Word says. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about growing up spiritually in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Almost instantly, when we hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we think about love and the love of God. And if there's something we all need to put into practice, it's the truth from the love chapter. But notice what this chapter has to say about spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians 13 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, fully grown, I put away childish things. There's nothing wrong with kids being kids, right? And there's nothing wrong with spiritual babies being spiritual babies. But Paul said that when he became a man, when he was perfect or mature, he put away childish things. See, there are certain things you're going to have to give up if you want to gain what God has. It's the same way in the spiritual as it is in the natural. For example, in terms of natural growth, as you get older, you don't do some of the childish things you used to do anymore. The older you get chronically, you don't behave the way you did as a toddler. 
as you're grown in your love for the Lord and you renew your mind with his word and put it into practice. The older or more mature you become, spiritually speaking, you grow spiritually. There is a fascinating scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that ties in with what I've been talking about. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Verse 2. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. 3. If you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know, there's a, there are a lot of believers who live in the flesh. They're carnal Christians because they never choose to grow and become fully grown spiritually. Unless you practice the Word, put it to work in your life, you'll never understand the things of the Spirit. You'll always be carnal, living life governed by your senses, and you'll never see things by faith. There is a complete different way to live in Christ because you walk in the Spirit, you don't walk in the flesh. But carnal Christians are people who haven't grown spiritually. They're just babes in Christ, as the Bible says. Paul went on to say in verse 2 and 3, I fed you with milk, not solid food. In other words, I couldn't give you the good stuff because you couldn't digest it. You don't have enough spiritual discernment to understand it. You were not able to receive it then, and you're still not able. You guys are a bunch of babies. You fight, you argue, and there are divisions among you. You talk about who's your favorite preacher, and you try to make spiritual things fleshly and carnal to be pleasing to the natural man. You act as though you've never been saved. Think about that. Paul was talking to people who had the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in their lives. The Corinthians believers came behind him and no good gifts. 1 Corinthians 1.7 Then they seen the gift of healing, the working of miracles, and every supernatural manifestation of the power of God. But the spirit of the gift operated independently of spiritual maturity. It's something that happens if the spirit wills. 1 Corinthians 12.11 but your spiritual growth is up to you. Your spiritual growth is not up to your pastor or your spouse or your spiritual growth is up to you. The operation of spiritual gift is not a sign of spiritual maturity. There's one reason why Paul wrote to correct the believers in Corinth. God earnestly desired that his children mature because he is looking for perfect people. Natural parents want their kids to mature too. My wife Heidi and I have two sons. They're a joy and a blessing to us, and we thank the Lord for them. But through the years from infancy to childhood to young adulthood, we require them to grow in different areas. We see things in their lives and encourage them to grow. God is our Father, and He loves us so much. He does the same thing. He's shown us things about ourselves to help us grow up spiritually. Many people have said the sinner's prayer, and they've been born again, but they're never grown. Some people have been born again for 20, 30, 40 years, and they're still babies. They're still spiritual infants. If my kids never grow physically, and after a while people will say, 
Kate, something is wrong. You need to take your kids to the doctor and get some medical professionals to check them out because they're not growing. Or that would it be like if my teenage son acted like toddlers. People would say, Kate, your kids are still childish. They're never mature. We need to understand that growth and maturity is not dependent on how old you are or how long you've been saved. I met teenagers who were mature emotionally and spiritually, and I met a lot of older adults who acted like kids who never mature or develop emotionally or spiritually. I know people who were born again and they were so hungry for more of God that they started acting on the Word. And six months later, they had grown by leaps and bounds spiritually. Practicing the Word made them grow and mature spiritually. I also know people who have been born again for more than 40 years and they know all the books of the Bible by heart and they can quote many verses, but it doesn't necessarily mean they are spiritually mature. Some of them are angry, grumpy, frustrated people who are critical of everybody. They haven't practiced the Word of God, so they haven't grown. My wife and I didn't want our sons to be babies forever. We wanted them to grow and thank God they've grown and they're going to continue to grow. But the younger kids are, are, or the more immature people are, the more they have to be covered. You have to think for them, and you have to do things for them. However, when people grow up, they take ownership of their lives and take personal responsibility for their lives. It's not fleshy. It's not fleshy. Becoming perfect is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible according to your natural ability in the flesh. In other words, you can't mature spiritually in your flesh. It's not possible to be perfect by the flesh or become spiritually mature according to your own natural ability. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit or your anointing, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That's impossible. Becoming perfect is impossible for a carnal man. It's not possible for somebody who is trying to fulfill fleshly ambitions. Nothing God assigns you to do can be fulfilled solely according to your own ability. It has to be done under the anointing of the Spirit according to God's timing. When I minister in the nations of the world, God often gives me assignments, and I accept them because I sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. However, when I get back to America, I try to figure out how I can get it done. And when I try to fulfill the assignment, according to my ability, I frustrate myself, my wife, and everybody around me. I have to wait on God to give me wisdom, ideas, and resources because I can't do anything according to my natural ability. That was the end of chapter 2. Thank you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. 
Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Tishkenu, the Lord my righteousness. Jehovah Jeshua, the Lord my salvation. Ezra 3.11, they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. Say that with me. Say, for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon me forever. For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon me forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord were laid. So that's the foundation for us of the house. Our foundation is for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon me forever. Default setting. In Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. And the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies. John 6:26 Do not work for the f- bread which perishes but for the food which endures for eternal life which the son of man will give to you for on him the father has set his seal Bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yeah. Satisfies your years with good things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 1, 15-22 1 John 5.15 And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked for Him. We have the request which we have asked from Him. In Matthew 22.29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaking, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29.11 Proverbs 16.20 He who gives attention to the word will find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Matthew 10.42 and whoever in the name of disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to him, he shall not lose his reward. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Isaiah 49, 13. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, 
thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Isaiah 43.2 Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us all in our tribulations, that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3, and 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the openings of the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give them and the day of vengeance of our God to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance Blessed are they that mourn they shall be comforted Matthew 5 4 May the Lord comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 18. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even the Father which has loved us and has given us, given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 16 chapter 2 verse 16. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5 4. Blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of our comfort who comfort us in all our tribulations that we might be able to comfort them, which are you in any trouble. By the comfort therewith we are self-comforted of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comfort us in all tribulations, that we might be able to comfort them which are in trouble 
by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Isaiah 61, 1 and 3. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captors, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint, to appoint unto them them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen, amen, and amen. This is my comfort in my affliction for they This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word has quickened me. Psalms 119.50 Casting all your care upon him, for the Lord careth for you. 1 Peter 5.7 O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57 Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4 For we have not high priests which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but we all, in all points, tempt to like. Which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are with our shesh. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but we was in a position. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. In Isaiah 41, 10 says, For thou fear thou not, for I am with thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yeah, I will help thee. Yeah, I will hold thee with thy right hand of my righteous hand. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41, 10. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. 
and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away <clears throat> Isaiah 51 11 therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy sorrow and mourning shall flee away We are confident, I say, and willing refer to be absent from the body and be perfect with the Lord. Our present. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be perfect or present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 8. And God will wipe away all the tears. And God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more of pain. Neither shall there be any more pain, but the former things are passed away. Revelation 21.4 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 3. So how do I become perfect? Keep Hershey's book. God is looking for perfect people. When the Lord gives me an assignment in life or ministry, I ask... Okay, Lord, how do I do it? In 1979, when the Lord called me to be a preacher and I said yes to him, I thought, well, how do I do it? What in the world do I do now? Lord, if you call me to preach to the nations, how do I do it? Shortly afterwards, the Lord put me in a particular environment and gave me favor with people in ministry who mentored me for five years. As I served faithfully as a helper with African leaders, God showed me things and I learned. He also gave me wisdom through relationships. He brought influential people into my life to teach me. I believe God led me that way because I asked him to instruct me. So if God called us to be perfect, I think it's fair to ask, okay, God, how do I become perfect? That's what I did. When I began to study the words of Jesus in Matthew 5:48, I asked, Lord, if you want me to be a perfect person, how do I become perfect? You know, the Lord answered me. Are you ready for this revelation? When I asked, how do I become a perfect person? How do I become perfect or spiritually mature? This is what the Lord told me. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. I'm sure you heard the expression practice makes perfect before. You probably even said it yourself. It may be hard to believe, but there's a way you can step into the realm of perfection and become spiritually mature. And it is wrapped up in the simple statement, 
Practice makes perfect. In other words, when you apply yourself to something, you will definitely improve in that area. God wants us to learn and grow and mature. And one of the best ways we do that is through repetition. To practice, practice, practice. Means to do something over and over again. For instance, when I coached basketball and I assigned the boys basketball drills and told them to practice for a week, the next time I saw them, I could tell who practiced and who didn't. It's very easy to tell who matured. If you don't practice, you won't mature. I found that out as a young boy. Did you know that I'm a musician? I can play the keyboard, guitar, and trumpet. However, you don't want to hear me play. You know why? I've never matured as a magician, musician, because I stopped practicing. I was one of the five kids, and it was required in the Hershey household that all the kids take piano lessons. When I was a young boy, my mother would say always, practice the piano, but I couldn't get my right hand, my left hand, and my right foot to cooperate. It was the longest half hour of my day. It seemed like centuries just to get through the 30 minutes. Because I didn't practice, I was never perfect or mature. So even though technically I am a musician, you don't want to hear me play because practice wasn't part of my process to mature as a musician. My mother would tell me that if I wanted to re- to excel in music, I had to practice. I never excel in any instrument. I never had much of a gift of music. I would practice and it was tedious. It was hard and I never seemed to grow much. So eventually, I would give up. On the other hand, I always liked sports, so my father would encourage me to practice. I remember my dad bought me a basketball, one of those red, white, and blue basketballs that were popular at that time. I would practice shooting basketball for hours. I would go out in the streets to dribble the ball and work on different drills and footwork by myself. I learned that practice made you more complete and more mature in whatever you're giving yourself to. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church and he said, You folks are doing good. You've got all these spiritual things happening. You come short in no gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus who will also confirm to you the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then in verse 10, the scripture says, Now I plead with you by the name of the Lord that you all speak the same thing because there are divisions among you and be of the same mind, be of the same judgment. I hear that there are contentions among you. In other words, there are arguments. Think about that. You can have so much going for you spiritually, but if you don't decide daily to mature and grow and become spiritually perfect or full-grown in your moral and mental outlook, you will remain immature. So it is a decision. you got to make decisions to mature, to develop, and to grow. To be honest with you, to grow in areas of the natural realm, sometimes it's hard. It takes a quality decision. It's like making a decision to get in shape. You want to go work out and jump weights 
or you want to run or do some cardiovascular exercise and you get excited about it, you see an infomercial on television about some machine, you buy it, you get so happy, then usually after a week or most two, two, most people can't keep it up because they're not disciplined enough. It's the same with spiritual things. I know some people have heard me preach the gospel and they get so excited they wear at a place of faith and they believe the word of, of the Lord, but they didn't practice these and it's only practice that makes perfect. Now, friend, I want you to know that you have to make a decision to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. If you can do that, perfect becomes possible. But if not, everything will seem out of reach to you. You'll look at the word of the Lord and think it's just too good to be true. You really won't know that God really can meet you at your point of need. Again, I want you to know that you have to make a decision to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. If you can do that, perfect becomes possible. But if not, everything will seem out of reach to you. You'll look at the word of the Lord and think it's just too good to be true. It's the same with spiritual things. If you want to grow, you need to come to a place where you practice the word of God. Practicing simply means doing the word. It means implementing it. You have to apply yourself. If Jesus called you us to be perfect or mature people, we have to give ourselves wholly, completely, and entirely to implementing or doing the word of the Lord. You have to be a doer of the word because practice makes perfect. James 1.22 highlights the truth that I'm trying to explain. James 1.22 but be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. It's amazing to me how many people love Jesus but don't implement his word in their lives. How do you expect to live in the fullness of God every day if the word is not acted upon in your life? How do you expect to gain victory over the circumstances of life if you're not strengthened and stabilized by God's word? You have to practice the word. There are a lot of people who have deceived themselves into thinking that they're spiritually strong, but they're really spiritually weak because they haven't been doing the word. The number one way to become perfect is to be a doer of the word of God. Many believers hear preaching and teaching, and they get CDs or cassettes. They watch television, preachers, and go to conferences. It's not enough to receive the word of the Lord and go over it again and again, you have to act on it. In Philippians 4.9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This is just another way to say that you have to practice the word. You have to be a doer of the word. After you heard the word, receive it as truth and understand it. Give yourself fully to it by activating it in your personal life. Then you'll find God's blessing overtaking you and His promises prevailing in your life. I learned that practice makes perfect as the old saying goes. If you want to be good at whatever you do, you have to put time into practicing. Whatever you give yourself to, you get better at. Whatever you give yourself to, you get better at. If you want to be a good musician, 
you practice. If you want to be a good basketball player, you practice. If you want to reach perfection or spiritual maturity, you do the word. There's always room for improvement. You can learn a lot about spiritual maturity from the Apostle Paul. If anyone qualified as perfect, it ought to be Paul. He received an abundance of revelations from God. Just think of the mysteries of the church that were revealed to him. The mystery of how Christ lives in you through the new birth experience and makes you a new creation was revealed to Paul. The in Christ truth were revealed to him and he wrote more than half the New Testament. He was even caught up to heaven once. I mean, if anybody was perfect, it had to be Paul. But Paul didn't consider himself perfect. Philippians chapter 12 verses Philippians chapter 13 verses 12 to 14 says, Not that I, Paul, have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not call myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said that he hadn't attained perfection yet. He was still following after all that God had for him. Paul didn't think of himself as a perfect person who didn't need to grow anymore. He said, there's something more to growing in God. There is something more than God God got a hold of me for, and I want to get a hold of it and experience in this earthly life. I'm reaching for it, and I'm going to practice the Word of God until I am fully perfected, and then I'll step out in this earthly body and go into glory. I love to hang around people who want to keep growing in God, people who are hungry for more of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Sometimes people look at me when I'm ministering and think, Oh, Keith's a nice guy. He comes and teaches us, and he ministers in the nations. He must be a spiritual giant. Well, they don't know me really well. I still need to grow. There are things in every area of my life where God wants me to develop and mature. You might be wondering, do we ever reach perfection? I wish I could tell you how long it takes to reach spiritual perfection in this life, but I can't. If I were teaching something that you could do in the three easy steps, something that could be accomplished by next Wednesday, shouldn't that be nice? But I'm not. Being perfected is a lifelong process. Even though becoming perfect is possible, you never fully arrive because there's always more to grow in God. And as long as you're in your physical body, you're always going to have opportunities to grow. The book of James says a lot about the use of your tongue and how your tongue can be full of iniquity and deadly poison that starts fires in people's lives. But taming your tongue is a key to becoming perfect. James 3, 2, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to brittle the whole body. Later in this portion of scripture, James says that no one can naturally tame the tongue, James 3.8. But if you learn by the help of the Holy Spirit to control your tongue by controlling your words, you'll be full grown and mature and you can control other parts of your life. 
To become perfect, spiritually mature and full grown, you have to renew your mind with the Word of God. Then what you believe in your heart will change the way you speak. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak, Luke 6.45. Now, if you're base, angry, perverse, and just cussing your way through life, it shows you haven't given yourself completely to the Word. Our tongue can surprise us at any time, and it usually surprises us under pressure, when we're fatigued or tired, or when we don't have understanding. The tongue will want to retaliate when people do us wrong, and you could say things about people or situations that would even shock your own mind, but that's what your tongue can do. It would be well worth your time to read and understand what the Bible says about the tongue because the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It controls your direction and your destiny. James 3, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says a lot of, about the use of our tongue because your words are so important. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Spiritually mature or perfect people control their tongue. If you never change the way you talk and learn to confess the word, there's only a certain level of spirituality that you'll ever reach because you will eventually eat the fruit of your lips. Proverbs 13, 2. God loves it when his people study and pray and put the truth of God's word in their hearts and then train their tongue to confess or speak the word over themselves and become spiritually mature. Amen. The end of chapter 3.